Anybody need a little quiet every now and then? Does it freak you out a little bit? I mean, I'm serious. I'm the place in life where it scares me. Like when things get quiet at my house, yeah, you know, something good is not happening, right? Like, it's bad. Seriously, how often do we have? We don't, we don't have very many moments of quiet, do we? Where like the radio's off, the TV's off, the kids are quiet down, like we're quiet, like even our spirit is just quiet. Like I feel like that's a lost art, you know? Like that whole meditative, quiet, solitude, that whole Christian discipline is just lost in our society. Love to get back to that. I need some help, though. Like, I need somebody to teach me that because that's not something that comes natural to me at all. That has nothing to do with this morning's message. <laughs> I was a freebie. Good morning. My name is Matt Howe, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and excited that you all are here today. And we're continuing on in our series in the book of Joshua, Old Testament, right? And um, I'm just going to be honest with you. Today, things are going to get a little tricky, right? Um, Hopefully you've been reading along in your Bible reading plan, and for those who have been, you kind of know what I'm talking about, but um, this week's, like, sermon text is tough, right? Like, sometimes in the Old Testament, there's just that stuff that's there, and it's kind of violent, and it's kind of a little bloody, right? And it's just, it's just hard sometimes to know exactly what to do with that, but, um, but I think I've got my head wrapped around it, so hopefully, uh, hopefully at the end of this message, some of you will be like, all right, I think I, think I know what that, what that means, right? If none of you do, then just don't tell me, okay? I don't want to feel like a failure, so. Last week, we read together um, the really familiar story from the book of Joshua, and that was about the Battle of Jericho, right? And so just to kind of recap that, basically God tells Joshua, hey, Joshua, take the Israelite army, march around the city of Jericho. Um, you're going to do it seven times, right, on, on seven days, and on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And, and on that seventh time, as the priests kind of blow out their trumpets, like this one big blast, you're going to tell all the people to just shout, right? And when you do this, God is going to bring down the walls surrounding the city, and the city is going to be delivered into the hands of the Israelites. So Joshua and his army, they, they went and they did as the Lord had commanded them to do. And it was as God had said that it would be. However, as we kind of read into that text a little bit, we see that there's one additional piece of, of information, one additional piece of instruction that Joshua he gives to the Israelites. Okay? And, and so we read this in Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. It, Joshua says, But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel, of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. So all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron, these are sacred to the Lord, and they must therefore go into his, the Lord's, um, treasury. All right, so there's just this idea that, hey, all the valuable things that you come across, that's not for you, that's for God, that's, this is not our victory, this is God's victory, and we're going to take those things, call them devoted things, and we're going to place them in God's treasury, okay? Well, unfortunately, the Israelites were human, okay? 
And to be human is to err, right? To be human is to make mistakes. To be human is to sin. As the scriptures say, um, they say fall short of God's glorious standard, right? We are human and therefore uh, we sin. We fall short of God's glorious standard. At times it would seem almost, and maybe it's like this for you, that the easiest way to motivate a person to do something is to tell them not to do it, right? Like just don't do that. And then what do they do? And they go and do it, right? And that's kind of the way it was for, for this one individual. And Joshua 7.1 reads like this. It says, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, uh, who was the son of one guy, the son of another guy, who's the son of another guy, right? We love those names in the Old Testament, don't we? Um, of the tribe of Judah, Judah, he took some of them, okay? So Achan actually takes some of these devoted things. And the Bible says that the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So uh, allow me to recap a little bit. Israel goes to battle with Jericho, right? They win the battle. The plunder of war is collected, and it's put into this treasury. But not all of it, right? There's this one man whose name is Achan. You might not want to give that. If any of you are pregnant, you might want to choose a different name. All right? Don't go with Achan, okay? And there's this one man, Achan, who can't say no. He allows his greed, right, to get the better of him. He ignores Joshua's command, takes an expensive imported robe, takes five pounds of silver, takes a gold bar, takes all of these things, and he buries them in the ground in his tent. Right? Great place for it. And Achan, like, some of us do at times, he, he thinks he's gotten away with it, right? Like, nobody saw me. I'm safe, right? I'm sneaky. But guess what? God notices, right? Like, God sees those things. And so the next city that's to be taken is the city of Ai. It's how you say it. It's Ai. It's literally how it's spelled, and you pronounce it Ai. Interesting. Joshua, so he sends out this reconnaissance, and this report comes back that Ai is a small town. You know what? You're only going to need probably two to, to 3,000 soldiers, and, and you're going to take this town easy. And so Joshua, wanting to be on the safe side, he sends three. But there's a rout, right? Like Israel is driven back. They are badly beaten. Lives are lost. And so Joshua, like any human being would, begins to question like all of his decisions, all of his leadership choices. Like, man, did I, did I do what was right here? He's confused and, and he's angry. And so he, he goes to God in prayer and he says, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will then surround us and eventually wipe us out, right? They'll wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great Name. And so Joshua's coming off this high of defeating Jericho, right? I mean, he's like, wow, this thing that God has told me, it's actually going to happen. Like, God's going to give us this land, right? We will finally have 
a home. God is with us. Nothing can stop us. And now all of a sudden, it's the exact opposite. Now all of a sudden, it's, man, I'm a failure. Where is God? God's not with us. And when the neighboring tribes hear about this, they're going to come and just completely wipe us out. He pours out his heart to God, and, and God speaks up, and God says to Joshua, he says, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? I'll tell you what's happened. Israel has sinned. Israel has violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. There are devoted things among you. And you cannot and you will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove them. Right? Well, you can imagine what Joshua's response would have been. And so immediately upon hearing this, he begins this extensive search for the culprit. And eventually, through a series of, of tests, he's led to Achan and his family. And so we pick up in Joshua 7, verses 25 and 26. It says, Joshua said, Why have you, Achan, brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then here's the part that, man, sometimes it's like, wow. It says, Then all of Israel stoned Achan. And after they had stoned the rest, being his family, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the place has been called the Valley of Angkor ever since. Now, this is a, this is a violent story for sure, and it's not really one of my favorites. But there are some things I think that we can learn. And the first one is this. Okay, sin right, in Western thinking is kind of, it's supposedly like this matter that affects only an individual's life. But listen to me, church, nothing can be further from the truth. I mean, consider Achan. In the case of Achan, God was displeased, and, and so he didn't help Israel in what should have been an easy victory in AI, right? Israel was blamed for the infraction. Israel lost the battle. Not Achan, Israel. 36 warriors lost their lives. The nation lost its momentum and became demoralized. Then valuable time was expended in trying to find the perpetrator. And ultimately, the punishment was capital. It affected Achan, his sons, his daughters, even his livestock. And after all of this, the nation had to restart a campaign that should have already been well underway. You see, hear me, church. Every damaged relationship, every questionable acquisition has negative consequences. Sin, crime, immorality, they all negatively affect the family, the community, sometimes even the nation. You may be here this morning thinking that you are getting away with it, right? You've, you've buried this something in your tent. You may be thinking that your sin is only affecting you, but I promise it's not true. Whatever you are burying in your tent is likely impacting the people that you love the most. 
In the case of Achan and his family, the offense was so great in God's eyes that Achan was stoned and the entire family burned for it. I mean, this remedy is heartbreaking. An entire family is wiped out because of one man's greed. But God was and always has been just. There are real consequences to our sin. There is real consequence to our sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wage of sin is death, right? And that's what Achan and his family got. But this is also why God ultimately sent his son, Jesus Christ. Because, because of our sin, we deserve death. Jesus gives us life, right? In John 3, 16 through 18, the message transliteration, it reads like this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. No one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. And anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God when introduced to him. You see, we are all under the sentence of death until we come to an awareness of who Jesus is and until we place our faith and our trust in him. Well, there's a little more that we can learn from this story, as if that's not enough. But it has to do with, with our own money and the way that we handle specifically worldly treasures. Like it or not, the way that we use our money reveals where we are in relationship to Almighty God. You see, money is not just a financial issue. It is a spiritual issue as well. Achan was a man of no faith. I mean, Achan's only concern was for himself. So much so that he was willing to steal. And not just steal, but steal from God, right? Like, wow. Achan's greed exposed his hardened heart. Greed has no place in the life of a believer. Rather, God wants us to live generously. Our giving, our generosity helps us become what God intends for us to be. It changes our thinking about how we see contentment and how we find contentment in life. Possessing more wealth does not mean that we will be more content. Likewise, owning more property or having more possessions does not mean that we will be more content. Paul instructs his servant Timothy to command those who are rich not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope rather in God. And I wonder how many of us, if we're really being honest with us here today, living in Anderson Township, middle class society, I wonder how many of us here today are really putting our hope in wealth, in salary, in savings, in 401ks, in IRAs, right? 
I wonder how many of us here are putting our hope in the abundance of our possessions. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then in verse 21, he says something really interesting. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is a direct correlation between our treasure and our heart. Not only can our hope be in the things of this world, but our heart can be in the things of this world as well. And God wants our heart to be with him. And God wants our heart, and thus he also wants our treasure. God challenges us to give, even when it doesn't make sense to do so. When we decide to trust God and give, especially in a time when it just feels insane to us, we discover the blessings that we receive from voluntarily giving away a part of our wealth help us to then draw closer to God, to develop contentment with what we do have. God does not make a habit of withholding gifts from his children. He wants to give, but he demands that we give our first fruits back to him. God uses generosity. God uses our giving, not only to change us, but to change the world for his purpose. We've seen that on the video this morning. In Anderson Hills, we want the kingdom of God to spread. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 16. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's our prayer as God's people. One of the primary ways in which that kingdom of God spreads is through believers' concern for and eagerness to help others. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People will know that we are Christians and that we genuinely love God when we love them through words and actions and particularly through our generosity. Nowhere was generosity more rampant than it was in the church in Acts. In chapter 2, verse 45, we read where the believers sold property, they sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then in chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, we read where the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. What would happen to our world If the church of Jesus Christ, the church universal, operated as the church in Acts did? What if we, as the church family, treated all of our possessions as if they belonged not to us, but to God? Because I'll let you in on a little secret. They do. (laughs) Our homes, our vehicles, our dinner table, our connections, our timeshares, our frequent flyer miles, our unwanted clothes and toys, our wanted clothes and toys and even our money. I'll even let you in on another secret. I think that people in this world are afraid to give because they fear that if they give what they have, there won't be anything there for them during a time of need. Now hear me, church. What if we were known as the church in our community that always 
had a person's back? What if we were the church that any time we became aware of a need, said, we're going to meet that need. In fact, we're going to exceed that need. Then guess what? That fear begins to go away. All of a sudden, the church body knows, if I ever get to a place where I have nothing left, I know that I have not just my faith in Christ, but Christ's people, and they have my back. Then all of a sudden, guess what? That fear of giving away, it leaves, and we begin to give, and we begin to live into that, and God just blesses it, right? God wants us to give generously. Generosity changes who we are. It changes the way we worship even. In worship, I mean, in worship, we essentially give ourselves to God, right? Well, that includes our money. That includes our possessions. It also includes our relationships, our work, our education, our time, our words, our actions, all of that, right? This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12 a few weeks back when we looked at Romans 12 where it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what? Worship, right? God wants the whole part of us. God wants our whole self. How would you describe your financial situation? Is it faithful or is it fearful? I think it would do us all a lot of good over these coming weeks to evaluate our finances and how we are using our money to bless others and to worship Almighty God. You see, Achan saw those treasures and he said, give me, give me, give me, right? He wanted it for himself when what God had instructed him to do was to give it back to him. God's instructed us to do likewise. Human being, everything I've given you, it's for my glory. Now what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Let us pray. God, we thank you for every good and perfect gift God, because we know that in James it tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from you. God, it was yours before it was ours. Those were your dollars. Those were your paychecks. Those were your worldly possessions before they were ever ours. And God, you've given them to us because you desire to give good gifts to your children. Your heart is to, is to bless us and to see us blessed. But God, now the responsibility falls on us, God. The ball is in our court to decide what we're going to do with those things and how we're going to honor you and how we're going to love you and how we're going to sing your praises through the way that we use those things that you've given us. God, may we not hoard them. May we not keep them to ourselves. May we not look at the blessings you've given us as opportunities to, to bless ourselves further, but may we look at them as opportunities to bless others. God, we've got people in our neighborhoods, in our backyards. God, people in our schools, people in our workplaces who, they're struggling. And Father, we listen to them talk about their struggles. God, help us to take action. May we be that church in Acts. There's a reason why it's called Acts. <laughs> God, may we be that church that, that looks at our possessions as an opportunity to give away and to bless other people. And God, may we be quick to give to those who are in need. God, others will know you by the way we love them. 
Father, thank you for the abundance of what you've given us. And may we give it back. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.